Hey there, it's Ariel Hawani, one-third of the fastest-growing show in combat sports. I'm Chuck Mendenhall. And I'm P.T. Carroll, and together we are 3 Puck. Join us on the Spotify Live app after every UFC pay-per-view and become a part of the best community in mixed martial arts. Or if you can't make it, check out the Ringer MMA Show podcast exclusively on Spotify. See you then. Love yous. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm personal price plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the NFL Ringer Show. I'm Jason Goff, along with my uh, AR commissioned me to call him my newest friend, right? But he, he, he's a dude who puts things together rankings-wise. He is Austin Gale from the Ringer. Austin, it's a pleasure to be doing this thing with you. And uh, hopefully throughout these weeks of the NFL season, we'll have enough content to have rankings because, you know, the NFL doesn't give you things week to week. You kind of have to scrounge up. I'm just messing around though. How you doing, brother? How you feeling? Doing fantastic, man. I'm excited to record this with when this one with you. I've been grinding the full go podcast. I know more about Chicago sports than I ever have after listening to that podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I will say, dude, I, I'm excited to record with you. Just before we were recording, I feel like I can't get on the right foot with you. I had to change my freaking hat and all this shit. I'm, I'm excited to try and get something on the tracks here and some positive momentum. But uh, I like where we're at to start. No, for sure, for sure. And the BTS will uh, will be will be amazing for all the. People. People. Yes, he did switch his wardrobe a couple of times. We had to make sure we're getting all the good angles for our guy, Austin. So, Austin, uh, first year players, you know, the preseason is cool because you get a chance to see like new new hairstyles, new cleats. You get you get this chance to see new numbers for certain guys. But for these first year players around the league uh, here in Chicago, there's a whole bunch of guys that this draft is um, hinged upon because, you know, the foundation of Ryan Poles and new GMs coming in around the league and 10 guys who are just looking to add a piece or rolling over franchises like what the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing. We're going to talk about a couple of rookies who made their preseason debuts, but first year players are always fun to watch, especially in the preseason because you kind of get a chance to see if they can uh, if they can sink or swim in their first live action. So who are we starting with? Both lines of scrimmage, obviously that's where winning is made, right? And we got a lot of offensive linemen in their first year starting around the league. We got a lot of defensive guys on the line of scrimmage as well. So where do you want to start this thing? I, I think we have to go to Pittsburgh, my guy, because I think they had two rookies that are really, really impressive in their debuts. You have the quarterback, Kenny Pickett, who they obviously drafted in the first round, the only quarterback in this year's class drafted in the first round. And this guy, George Pickens, fell to the back end of the second round for some injury stuff and some people questioning his character or maybe his vibe overall. Well, the vibe through training camp and the vibe through his first preseason game is freaking insane. This guy is making every single catch, circus catches time after time, throwing dudes 
on the ground as a run blocker. Pittsburgh, man, has some exciting first year players. Yeah, no, the Kenny Pickett thing all, all offseason and then, of course, the draft process. And then the, he goes to the Steelers and immediately we start talking about hand size and is he going to be able to throw it in, in Pittsburgh weather? He hadn't experienced it as of yet, right? But he looked good. And then George Pickens, as you mentioned, wide receivers used to be seemingly a crapshoot in the draft, but now you can get, you know, really, really good production out of first year players as we've seen over the last two or three years, especially these last few years where guys like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson have already ascended to the top. When you see, when you watch a, a young wide receiver like George Pickens, you know, you look at how tall he is, you look at how strong he is. What are some of the other things that, that might have to be refined that Pittsburgh Steelers fans can get excited about now, but have to still wait for? Yeah. Pickens is big physical and great in contested catch situations. He showed that at Georgia when he was healthy and he showed that through training camp and now through the preseason, the touchdown grab that he had, putting his two feet in over Kobe Bryant, another rookie out of Cincinnati, like mm-hmm. super impressive debut. I think where he needs to improve and where his skill set has always kind of needed to refine is consistency as a route runner and consistency in terms of you know giving everything on every route. I think you see when you go back and watch all of his routes, he does a lot with speed variability where he's starting routes a little bit slower and then turning it on. Even when you look at his touchdown catch, it's kind of freelancing the route a little bit necessarily that won't, I don't think, sell against veteran corners. But I think that's all stuff that can improve as he gets, you know, it gets more experience. You can't, re- you can't like improve size. You right. can't improve contested catchability in hands and that competitive tenor that he has. And I think something that I will say, Pittsburgh does such a good job of drafting, identifying, and developing receivers. You saw mm-hmm. it with Chase Claypool. Deontay Johnson just signed a monster contract extension who was a nobody out of Toledo. You saw it with Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's best years coming out of Central Michigan was yeah. with Pittsburgh. He leaves Pittsburgh and all the wheels fall off for, for Antonio Brown. They just do such a good job. Even Juju Smith-Schuster early on, like they do such a good job of identifying receiver talent and putting them in a position to succeed. And Pickens already a fantasy football darling by all senses. That, you know, everyone's obsessed with what he's doing, I think there's a really good chance that he's in this starting rotation with a Deontay Johnson, with a Chase Claypool once the regular season kicks off. Yes, it's great that you make that point about what the Steelers have been able to do as a franchise and identifying that talent, going all the way back to Heinz Ward with Antonio Brown, identifying who you have to pay too, right? Because remember Mike Wallace and Antonio Brown, it was a debate on who do you pay, which guy do you pay? And obviously Antonio Brown goes on to have, you know, a a damn near Hall of Fame type of run for five or six, seven years with the Steelers. So it seems like they got another one in George Pickens and anytime I see guys, especially wide receivers who get doubted or knocked in the draft because of this thing here, or this thing there, and then you look at the measurables, you look at the conference a guy plays, and he hasn't played a lot of football in these last two or three years because of the COVID shortened season. He tore his ACL, and you know the year before that, he didn't get a lot of run because it's Georgia, and they got a whole bunch of people playing at those positions. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what this dude could do because last time we we saw someone that was, I think, doubted so much in the draft process, and yeah. then you're looking at those measurables and like, but he, he's got to be able to play because you look at him, right? It's DK Metcalf. Like we talked all that stuff about him not being able to do the shuttle as as quickly as you'd like certain receivers and breaking down this, that, and the other. Now we're talking about him being one of the 10, 12 best wide receivers in the game. I don't know if that's on George Pickens, you know, plate coming up here soon, but they they, they seemingly have one uh, in, in Pittsburgh. Speaking of wide receivers, you know, the, 
Traylon Burks, a quarterback wide receiver conversation in Tennessee as well, right? Malik Willis, Traylon Burks, uh, Mike Vrabel said he had an inconsistent preseason debut. Uh, Malik Willis, he talked about him not throwing the ball and being uh, not being on schedule as, as much as you'd like. We know that Malik Willis isn't going to start. But the Traylon Burks part about this, I mean, they lose A.J. Brown. Uh, they're looking for another wide receiver to complement whatever Ryan Tannehill is going to do before they maybe move on from him. So what do you think of Traylon Burks? It's been a disappointing roller coaster start for Traylon Burks, the first round receiver out of Arkansas. And he's someone I talked to Pittman, the coach there at Arkansas, and how they use Traylon Burks. And I found it very interesting that we just got him the football as quickly as we possibly could, whether it was like near the line of scrimmage, screens, all this stuff. We had packages specifically designed for him because he was the best football player we had when he had the ball in his hands. Now in Tennessee, you're seeing less of scheme targets for Traylon Burks. Now it's very early. It's one preseason game, but not as many scheme targets in his debut. And he's having to create separation as either the first, second or third progression. And it's just underwhelming. You saw the offensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator in Tennessee in a press conference recently say he's just kind of needs to see more consistency in camp, more consistency in the games to really feel all that confident in Traylon Burks hitting the ground running. He's the only first round wideout of many that played in the second half of their preseason debut, which is telltale sign that they want to see more out of him. They want him to get more reps and more opportunities. There were reports early out of camp that he wasn't, you know, he was out of conditioned and all that stuff. So I worry a little bit about, about his start. Now there are a handful of flashes you see in this game where he has it. He has the size. He has the speed. I was talking to Benjamin Solak. Another, um, you know, ringer analyst here, a guy that loves the draft and, and covers the NFL really closely. Size and speed, size and speed. The NFL bets on that every single time. I was talking to Daniel Jeremiah on why maybe the Jets went after Mekhi Becton initially. Mekhi Becton has a bad practice. Guess what? The next day, he's waking up six foot eight, 300 pounds. Traylon Burks is still going to be big and fast tomorrow and the next day. And they're banking on that developing and, you know, into polish. And the polish and the consistency is what he's lacking. Way too early for the jury to be out on the kid. Like, don't doubt him by any means. But it's just not the start that you probably were looking for for a guy that literally has to come in and try and replace one of the better receivers in the NFL and A.J. Brown. So the Seattle Seahawks, they're they're rebuilding this thing. They're starting all over again. And anytime you go out and get a couple of offensive tackles at the very top of the draft, you know what Pete Carroll is trying to build through that line of scrimmage. Uh, Abe Lucas, Charles Cross. I'm watching... Uh, couple of young tackles here in the city of Chicago that we may or may not get to and it's going to be a struggle and you limit your offense you got to sometimes keep a tight end in there you got to help you got to chip from the backfield how do you think Abe Lucas and Charles Cross not only are going to fare but how they started their preseason you have to be impressed with the start to this preseason for both those tackles. Both have experience in the Mike Leach air raid offense where they're throwing the football on every single down. Abe Lucas doing that early in his Washington State days and then Charles Cross this past year with Mississippi State. Cross, a first round pick, you expected him to be this good and he passed his first test. You talk about Burks, a first round pick where you're looking to see him pass some early tests. Hasn't done mm-hmm. that yet necessarily. Cross, flying colors. Zero pressures allowed according to Pro Football Focus in his first game and he did it against some backups at Pittsburgh, you're always going to see that uh, in the preseason, but still passing the test to start. And then Abe Lucas played 52 offensive snaps, more than any other player in this game for the Seattle Seahawks, and was absolutely dominant all throughout. And I think that is what's more impressive. He's a third round pick. You're not expecting him to even start over veteran Jake Curran, who was there last year for the Seattle Seahawks. But if he can be this good out of the gate, a guy that's a third round pick, that's just such surplus value as a swing tackle, even if he is a depth player out of the gate. So two rookies on the bookends for a team that's obviously not in the running for a deep postseason run, just recently traded Russell Wilson. They're looking to invest in you 
youth and invest in the trenches. To see that from their debut, if I was power ranking how excited you should be, that's up near the top because I think Seattle Seahawks fans should be excited about both those guys. Speaking of a team that is trying to uh, rebound from the loss of an all-time great quarterback, go from Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks to Drew Brees and New Orleans Saints. New Orleans trying to figure it out. And of course, you got to build through the line of scrimmage. Trevor Penning, uh, one of the highest grades in week one of the preseason for any tackle, not just rookie tackles out there. I think the New Orleans Saints have found something that they can anchor with on the left side of that line. Yeah, he, as a run blocker, shows so much potential. He is a big, menacing offensive tackle. There are so many snaps in this game where he's on the backside of runs, picking up reach blocks, throwing people into the dirt, and even in the echoes of the whistle, pushing people down and and getting into the extracurriculars. This is a guy, when I talked to him pre-draft, he said, every single game beforehand, I watch Saw. The movie Saw, the horror film. And <laughs> he has talked in practice about how he wants to physically assault people. He got kicked out of a Saints practice for fighting a player. Yes, he is he a nasty dude, and that showed up in the run game. But there was also... Some nastiness and pass protection really struggled in this game with his feet. They were just downright sloppy, downright vile feet for a young offensive player. And he got exposed. Okoronkwo, who's been around the league a bit, had anything he wanted. He'd go inside. He had a spin move early on. He could go outside. And even Derek Rivers, who is not a decorated pass rusher in the NFL by any means, also beat him to the outside. That's why he's not starting. Trevor Penning played 57 snaps in this game because they want to see more out of him. He's getting thrown out of practices for fighting. They want to see more out of him, and that's why he played so much. And they want to see him improve his feet and his overall polish and pass protection. You did not see that in this game. Run blocking, incredible. Pass protection still needs to improve. So... When we talk about being nasty, I love, we're still doing this whole thing about playing to the echo of the whistle. It's okay, yes. Austin, to just call a motherfucker dirty. Like, just, 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 just say that Trevor Penning it mixes it up to the level where he might be considered a dirty player going forward. Hey, you know, there's a lot. We celebrate the dirty offensive lineman as long as you're good at it. You can't be bad and dirty out there. And, of course, we don't want anybody to ever, ever get hurt. All right, let's swing over to New York. Uh, the Giants seemingly are always in rebuild mode. And in the first round of the draft, they shore up both lines of scrimmage and Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. Their preseason and their training camps and all the things that you've read about these two players, um, I think is true to form and what some of the strengths and weaknesses were for both these players coming out of the draft Mm -hmm. in terms of technique and fundamentals being a thing where if Evan Neal can dominate that part of the game, you know, he's already physically gifted. And of course, Kayvon Thibodeau on the other side, the same thing being said about him as a pass rusher. Like, okay, we know you're athletic. We know you're physically gifted. But what counters do you have? Are you are you thinking out there when, when you when you do get uh, blocked? How do you counter? Uh, what, what else do you have in your bag? So Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau, how do they fare in their first preseason action? You hit the nail on the head there, Jason, in that like we saw a lot of what we thought they were. They are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. We they, <laughs> what they were in, in college. You know, I'm in Chicago, right? So that's that's music to my ears. I know, I know, big Chicago guy. But Evan Neal, the offensive tackle that they drafted in the first round of Alabama, coming out had some balance concerns, right? Sometimes you feel like he's out of control and and a little bit gangly with his stance and gangly with his hands and. Anthony Jennings, another Bama kid, just like ragdolled his ass, like legitimately was throwing him on the ground. He was on the ground for multiple snaps and he just never felt in control, whether that's nerves and obviously like still really early in his NFL career. It just did not look like he was comfortable in his own skin. And that 
you don't want that at offensive tackle. And it reminds me a lot of how Andrew Thomas, another you know first round pick for the New York Giants along the offensive line, looked out of the gate as well. And that he just didn't feel improved, feel uncomfortable, feel prepared for the NFL. Right. And I think it's going to take time for Evan Neal to develop that polish and to develop that balance as he kind of goes forward. But out of the gate, though, the test was definitely low. And then for Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Huron, the offensive tackle for the New England Patriots, just had his number. Like he could not throw any move at Huron and, and really win. Like just totally lacked creativity, totally lacked what I thought was like a pass rush plan. Now, and you saw flashes, right? You saw him, you know, throw her onto the ground and, uh, defending the run. And there was one where he kind of beat him to the edge, but still overall up and down kind of roller coaster and just like lack creativity, which is exactly kind of what we saw at Oregon. And what were some of the concerns with Kayvon Thibodeau, who was a very polarizing player mm-hmm. in the draft. Some people loved him and, you know, really invested in his tape and his potential and his athleticism. Other people were like, this kid's not even a first rounder. He's his head's not in the game. He has his own cryptocurrency. I thought all that was bullshit. And I think Kalen Jones, who used to work here at the ringer, wrote an excellent piece about the mind that is Kayvon Thibodeau and what his plans were and all that stuff. I think he's still going to be a very, very good NFL player just out of the gate for both Neil and Kayvon Thibodeau you just saw a lot of the same concerns in college which is going to take time it's more than just a training camp and one preseason game for these guys to reach their maximum potential this episode is brought to you by State Farm from your morning podcast to your fantasy team we know you personalize your entire day that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm personal price plan it offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure shop the golden collection at ugg.com this episode is brought to you by empower you got money questions like can i retire early what are my best savings options can i afford to pay for my kids education luckily empower has all the answers with empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations you get clarity on your real life financial goals so join 18 million americans and empower what's next start today at empower.com Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer.
when you talk about the preseason, uh, we obviously we don't have four anymore. It's down to three games, and and if you're a part of any future plans, you get taken out in those first eighteen to twenty snaps of that first game. Second game, you do whatever, and the third game, you get a chance to 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 sit it on down. How do you think rookie development has either been stunted or matured with some of these um, new CBA conversations that have been had over the last five, six, seven years, where the hitting has decreased, and of course now the preseason game goes down, and you add an extra regular season game. What do you think it does to these rookies in terms of development and growth that you've seen? Jason, I think at the top of this, you said you're my newest friend. I think we're going to hit it off nicely because I fucking love this question. It's something that I think about all the time. I think that the NFL critically under the new CBA and under how they're trying to reduce um, hits and practice and all this stuff, it has a development problem. You know, it has a development problem in that it's harder and harder for guys to get drafted into the NFL. And if they don't exceed expectations right out of the gate to have enough opportunities to actually develop as football players. And it's why a USFL, XFL, AAF, all that shit pops up because there isn't a developmental league for the NFL, like there is obviously for the NBA, like there is for the MLB. And that forces overdrafted rookies against high expectations, shattered confidence to try and develop as players, and then underdrafted rookies not getting the opportunities they can because there's only so much contract control for those highly invested players. All this bullshit that just like does not allow players to develop. It doesn't. And like, I think you see that worse at its worst at the quarterback position. You know, back in the day, you talk about like, oh, should he sit for a year and should he like take time to develop and all that stuff? The reason, you know, teams aren't doing that is because they just legitimately don't have time. They're, they're, the best thing in the NFL that you can possibly have is a cost-controlled rookie contract for your quarterback. And if you are not maximizing that by playing it across all those four years or with that fifth-year option, you're losing out on what this is objectively just a massive edge for football teams like the New England Patriots are trying to do with Mac Jones. And you know um, you have Justin Fields in Chicago. Like You're trying to maximize a cost-controlled, cheap quarterback, put him in the best position to succeed with highly invested players in other positions. And that just forces other quarterbacks not to develop at the speed that they need to and can force a Zach Wilson in New York, right? To just look completely out of sync to start. And they have just right. no choice, but just continue to throw him into the fire and hope that he fucking hits the ground running. That's why I, I love that there are so many quarterbacks f- forcibly taken in first rounds of drafts that when you kind of see the market correction that we saw this year, where it's like, no, there's only one that we should probably take. And you know, we saw a lot of Malik Willis talk very early on in the process maybe you can go top 10 somewhere Seattle Carolina and then you see where he gets drafted you talk about Kenny Pickett at the at the middle to the end of the first round uh I I, I want us to get back to overdrafting quarterbacks so we could throw them in these kinds of rankings because I, I feel like you know when you talk about the development part the CBA kind of forces the real developers and the real organizations out a lot more so like the the separation and the margin for error is that much more yeah. slim when you talk about the less time, less hitting, less games. And I know players want to preserve their bodies and obviously they're getting invested in a whole bunch of money in, in the guys, not not in the you know, pre-Sam Bradford days type of guarantees, but you're not finding out as much as you need to find out by the time it's time to pay these guys two or three years in. And I think it's a cumulative effect when you look at how little you get a chance to practice and hit. I'm extremely confident in the take that teams bust, not players. You know, every time yeah. you, you bring up players where, oh man, he busted it. He's a bust. And this guy didn't, you know, exceed expectations. There are examples where players bust. Jamarcus Russell, we've heard the stories was eating like double, double Wendy's cheeseburgers instead of watching tape and like completely like shit the bed in terms of meeting expectations when he was drafted by the Raiders way back when. But there are other examples like the David Carr situation and, you know, commonly with quarterbacks where like he just was not in a situation to succeed out of the gate. 
we had reduced opportunities after that. And then as you continue to progress forward, just never really given that shot. And I've talked to quarterbacks that have, you know, been into the league and have been out of the league, like Jordan Palmer, JT O'Sullivan, Zach Robinson, who's now the quarterback's coach for the Rams. And they're like, dude, you look at the Chase Daniel situation. If I was put in his shoes, I probably have a lot more success. You know, you look at Bruce Gretkowski, who I've worked with in the past at Pro Football Focus and, and mm-hmm. talked to regularly. He's like, dude, I don't make it in the NFL if this guy doesn't get hurt or this guy doesn't give me this chance and all this shit. Like situation matters so much and how teams develop players matters so much more than he was drafted number two overall and it was never good. It's his fault and all that shit. I, I definitely do think that um, the best developing teams continually win. That's why you see the Baltimore Ravens always happily drafting well. That's why you see the Steelers always getting good receivers. It's sometimes talent evaluation, but oftentimes situation, development, consistency, all that stuff. No doubt about it. All right, let's go to the top of the draft because you have to influence the quarterback or help the quarterback in this league. That, those are the people who get paid along with the quarterbacks, right? So we're talking quarterbacks, left tackles, we're talking edge rushers, corners, and, and you know, you know, throwing a linebacker or a safety if there's some kind of generational talent but the top of this draft, you've got edge rushers. You've got people who are paid to put pressure on the quarterback, Trayvon Walker, and of course, Aiden Hutchinson. Um, that Georgia defense, five first rounders, Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, all the I mean, hell, you got Jalen Carter, who people think might be the best player on that defense, who's getting ready to come out. So that that first Jacksonville game where I'm watching and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm waiting to see the rookie here. And he looked anything he looked like a, a a real player but he didn't look like a rookie out there he looked anything but a rookie like so tell me about Trayvon Walker and what you thought we brought up Evan Neal and how he didn't look comfortable right and look kind of out of his own skin and, and out of control Walker is the complete opposite you, you you can see that he has complete control over the outcomes you know you look at that game in the Hall of Fame game against the Raiders Brandon Parker was put in an absolute body bag I thought Trayvon Walker maybe should have been arrested for abuse after that game because it's just it's absurd it's absurd how quickly he's able to dominate against NFL competition I think in the preseason it's very easy to overreact to first and second year you know players performing well but what isn't you can't mask, and it goes back to the stuff I said about Mekhi Becton and, and, and Traylon Burks, is size and speed. And he is NFL size, NFL speed, like big and fast. And that matters. That translates. That shows up every single day. And like to see him have, have the success he did against Brandon Parker in that Hall of Fame game and even against Cleveland, Jedrick Wills Jr. is one of the better offensive tackles in the NFL. And you still mm-hmm. saw him beat up on him a little bit. Not the same success he against Parker, but still... You like that size and speed. Like Trayvon Walker, in my opinion, looked really, really good in his debut. And there are, you know, there are things that he's going to have to clean up. He did not play, you know, true stand up edge at Georgia a ton. They kicked him inside because he's so fucking big, but like he can play on the outside and have a lot of success in this Jacksonville defense. If he's, if his start continues to build momentum, because I really was impressed with how he started. Aiden Hutchinson, a guy that Bears fans like myself are getting ready to see twice a year for the next seven to 10 years. Looks like the young man is going to wreak the same kind of havoc that he wreaked in Ann Arbor. Uh, got a tackle for loss, was active. What did you think of the second pick overall in the draft? Two words to describe, you know, his start disruptive and constant. And it's exactly what you saw at Michigan. He's a guy that had an opportunity to do a four part podcast with at PFF. Him and I sat down for like six hours. I talked to his mom, his dad, his coaches, all this shit. He is by every sense of the word, a very, very consistent player and a guy that is going to be every single play 
disruptive and just constantly working his way to the ball. And you saw that he only played 11 snaps, but he felt like he played the whole game because he's just coming off time and time again, even on the touchdown that Marcus Mariota ran in, beat two blockers to the quarterback. He had that play against Jake Matthews where he just completely throws a veteran, highly played offensive tackle in the NFL in his first 10 snaps of the NFL, completely to the ground and makes a tackle for loss. This guy is going to be a presence. Is he, does he have, you know, we talked about in the pre-draft process so much about his ceiling and is he as good as Trayvon Walker? Could he be as good as what Trayvon Walker could be. I'll tell you what he is right now. Disruptive and consistent. And that's exactly the presence that the Lions drafted him for. I think they're going to be very happy with his rookie season if it if, if it continues like it did uh, in his preseason debut. Speaking of disruption and consistency, we know what the Kansas City Chiefs are year in and year out. They're going to get you 12, 13 wins and they're going to be in somebody's AFC championship game. But this team is going to look a little bit different. There's no Tyree Kill. Now Juju Smith-Schuster takes over as the number one or you know de facto number one wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes. By the way, I love the fact that people are... Well, this is this is going to make him a better quarterback. Well, when Tyreek Hill was on the team, y'all should have said that it makes him a worse quarterback if that's the case, right? Like, just just say that Patrick yeah. Mahomes is going to have to be a different kind of quarterback and spread the ball around a little bit. But I watch the Chiefs and the Bears. There's a few rookies on the field that that of note, not just of note, but are, are going to be material. George Karloftis for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now I know they went out and got Carlos Dunlap to go on the other side of Frank Clark to to disrupt backfields and was going to be an absolutely crazy AFC. West if you're Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson and of course Derek Carr out there. Um, George Karloftis he went up against uh, a second string tackle for the Chicago Bears who hadn't played in a year and a half. He looked good and mind you by that time Braxton Jones the, the fifth round pick out of Southern Utah who the Bears have pretty much dubbed to be the starting left tackle was out of the game but what do you think of George Karloftis coming off the edge for the Chiefs? This is my guy, Jason. George Karloftis out of Purdue, a first-round pick that I think fell way too far in the first round. You can't tell me that Aiden Hutchinson's the number two overall pick and George Karloftis is getting drafted towards the back end. It doesn't make sense because he is absolutely phenomenal. He's a guy at Purdue that played all four years. He purposefully bought an apartment that was walking distance to the practice facility at Purdue because he's just that type of lunch pail fucking hard hat guy. Also, <laughs> on the he was on the Greek national water polo team, the U14 team, at like 12 years old. This I kid mean, is an absolute freak of nature. And like, I, I'm moving to LA, just recently started at the Ringer. I'm getting a, an apartment right by the office as well. The Colossus types are coming in. But to this game... Please don't wear a Speedo to the office, though. We'll see. We'll see. I already had to change my hat. Now I got to change my swim suit, Jason. Um, but he went against uh, Braxton Jones a little bit, the rookie that you think, you know, he's obviously going to start there in Chicago. And then mm-hmm. really where you saw him just tear off is against Tevin Jenkins, the former second round pick out of Oklahoma State. And he was flashing power. He's flashing long arm. He had this, you know, he had this one move against Tevin Jenkins specifically where he flashed the hands, got him to extend, dips underneath and bends. Like, this is productivity as a pass rusher and as a run defender and motor that the Kansas City Chiefs desperately need. They broke the bank for Frank Clark, and he has been an utter disappointment for them. They have Chris Jones, who's one of the better interior pass rushers in the NFL, but they need a consistent, dominant, disruptive edge presence. And Carl Loftus, oh my goodness, I think he's that. The only the only negative I have, if I was power ranking number aesthetics, and I'm not a number aesthetic guy, wear whatever fucking jersey number you want. <laughs> number 56 on George Carl Loftus looks absolutely heinous. I don't think he should be a 56. Really? He should be like in the upper 90s or like a single digit number like some of these other guys wear. 56 uh, is awful. You want like a Ryan Kerrigan kind of vibe, huh? Yes, yes. I want, I want something better than 56. He just looks skinnier. He looks like skinnier with the 56. I don't know. I can't get on board. It's a pretty good edge rusher that wore 56, Austin. I mean, you know, the guy kind of changed the game a little bit, but I got you. I got you. Uh, 
another defensive player that in his first year on the other side of the sideline was Chicago Bears safety Jaquan Brisker. All the talk through training camp has been that this guy is the real deal. He is a absolute specimen. He's a big safety. He's a guy who can play up up close to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Matt Eberflus talked about his versatility once he gets the game down, where they're going to try to put him. I would have loved to have seen Kyler Gordon out there as well. You know, two two players for the Chicago Bears who are going to factor in incredibly. One's going to have to play the nickel and one's going to have to play a safety, which is pretty much starting positions right now in the NFL when you're in sub packages for 70% of the time. So what did you see out of Jaquan Brisker, uh, the young man out of Penn State, who's going to be next to Eddie Jackson trying to hold it down in that secondary for the Bears? Dude's just a baller, and and I talked to him after he had a game-winning t- uh, interception. I think it was you know early in the season last year for Penn State, and he him describing the play. So I asked him, hey, describe the play when you got the pick. And I was expecting, you know, uh, you know a super, I read this coverage and all this stuff. He's like, dude, I just had to go get the fucking ball. And it's like, let's go. Dude. Like, this is, this is, that's that energy Chicago needs, yeah. right? And I think they had another rookie too, Jack Sanborn, who's a Wisconsin off linebacker that like, like super productive, man. <laughs> super productive. Brisker and Sanborn both showed that they just no ball. You know, they, they're chasing the football, forcing turnovers, you know, putting on big hits. Like, I think Brisker is going to be a much needed presence on the back end. I think heady players like, like that that just have a natural instinctive kind of football ability is something that that defense is going to need and i think it's something that you know chicago fans is obviously they you know set expectations up for justin fields and hope that you know they can hit the ground running offensively and continue to see development in this new era Brisker is not someone that's going to develop. He's going to be someone that immediately offers impact to this defense. All right. So as we close it out here, are there any other rookies that you wanted to mention from around the league that we didn't get a chance to touch on? I know Damian Pierce has got a lot of fantasy football heads out there looking around like, all right, the Texans are going to be bad. So you're going to have to run the ball a little bit. (laughs) Marlon Mack is a guy who's been injured a little bit over the last couple of years. Is there anybody else out there kind of like a Damian Pierce or some of the guys that you've already mentioned? Yeah, Damian Pierce, I thought was fantastic in his debut. And I, you love watching preseason tape of rookies where they look exactly like they looked in college. Just like mean, tough running Damian Pierce is in a Houston Texans uniform. Now, one other rookie I'll mention though, a guy that fell in the draft way too far, all the way to the third round. Cause the rumor mill in terms of injuries for this kid, Nicobe Dean, the linebacker out of Georgia, yeah. you would have thought he was made out of fucking paper mache. <laughs> like they were talking about his shoulder and his knee and his, his ankle and his wrist. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like, can anyone draft him? Can he even like walk? And he's already healthy, has not missed anything in training camp, is wearing the green dot on defense, calling mm-hmm. plays, working with the second string, and was absolutely lights out in his debut for the Eagles. I think that the Eagles ultimately do start a combination of Kaiser White, a guy they signed in for agency out of the char- from the Chargers, and the TJ Edwards. But slowly and surely, I think as N'Kobe Dean works in this preseason and continues to look like he did, I would not be surprised if he's an absolute force for this Eagles defense at some point this season. There it is. Austin Gale, you want to end up on the positive side of his rankings. You don't want to be on the downside, the downtrend. You're going up, you're going down, you're going to find it out right here on the Ringers NFL Show. So for Austin Gale, I'm Jason Goff, of course, our production staff of Arjuna Ram Gopal, and of course, my guy, Chris Sutton. We thank you so much for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you soon.